Hello friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're studying the book of Romans and learning how the power of the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hi friends, and welcome back to the podcast. We are in Romans 9, as most of you already know. Have a postcard here from the Big Island of Hawaii. Never been to Hawaii. And this is from Kailia Kona. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. A little village where the first converts to Christianity attended a church that is still there, or at least a replica of it. And this is from our friends Rick and Renee Dreyer, members of our church that are on a six-month round-the-world cruise. So excited for them and thankful that you're listening to the podcast and sharing a little bit about your journey on the way. We're in Romans 9, as I said. Uh, last episode, we talked about the fact that the God had selected the nation of Israel for special service, and she didn't do too good of a job fulfilling her responsibility. It doesn't mean that God's selection was wrong, just that uh, she didn't fulfill her purpose maybe the way that she should have, and we'll see that as the passage unfolds. But the point that he's making here is that not everybody that is a child of Abraham is this, the seed of Abraham in the sense that he's one of God's chosen elected people in the sense of elected for the purpose for which God elected Israel. No, in fact, a minority of Abraham's children were actually of the, the, the children of promise, only those that descended from Isaac. And so lineage is not a factor in the in this a choice of God, lineage. Okay, but there's a second point that the Apostle Paul makes, and it it's found in verse number eight. So at the end of verse seven, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So, okay, now we have to look at Isaac. We looked at Abraham. It's only one of Abraham's eight sons that God said would be the child of promise. That's Isaac. So let's look at Isaac. Well, Isaac only had two sons. See that verse number eight? That is, they which are of the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So that means Ishmael and those other sons of Abraham by Keturah. Uh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Look at verse number nine. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca, okay, so the children of promise, Isaac, okay, but now let's move from Isaac, verse number 10, and not only this, so not just Isaac, but when Rebecca, so who is Rebecca? Rebecca is Isaac's wife. So Re Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father, Isaac. So think, think about how the apostle Paul is wording this, our father. So when he says our father, Isaac, to whom is he speaking? He's speaking to other Jews because Paul is a Jew, so he can rightly say our forefather Isaac as a Jew, Jewish forefather. And when he says our, he's speaking to other Jews because he's trying to explain this to Jews who maybe are confused as to how they now fit. Well, I thought we were God's selected, adopted, promise-given 
glory curator people, and now it seems like the gospel is going everywhere but the Jews, and it's being received by the Gentiles en masse, and yet the, the Jews seem to be the ones that are rejecting and indeed did reject uh, their Messiah. So how does this all fit? And Paul says, well, let's, let's think about it. You know, a, just because you're of Abraham's lineage doesn't didn't mean that you are Abraham's seed. In other words, you are, were more than willing as a modern day Jew, modern day in Paul's day, you're more than willing to look back and say, oh, I agree that not all of Abraham's children are get the promise, only those in Isaac. Why would they think that way? Because they were of Isaac. So it's easy to agree with that which bodes to my benefit, okay? So now in verse number 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, notice the parenthetical, verse 11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Remember, election simply means God's choice. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. That according to the, to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. So not only is it a it is God's selection not based upon lineage, it's not Abraham's seed, but it's the it's I I have chosen to give the promise through Isaac. So it's not a matter of lineage, nor is it a matter of works because I chose the younger son. Now they're twins, but he was younger nonetheless. I chose the younger son, Jacob, to be the seed bearer. I chose Jacob to be the inheritor of promise, not Esau. In fact, I told Rebekah that the younger, that is, or the elder rather, that is Esau would serve the younger. And maybe that's why Rebecca concocted that whole scheme in Genesis chapter, what was it, 27, where, you know, she had Jacob fake being Esau. Now, I think she was wrong to, to, to deceive. I think she was trying to make things happen that she knew what God was doing and kind of took it in her own hands. That's a whole different message. The point is this, God made a choice not based upon human lineage, and God made a choice not based upon human works. So God is establishing that his choice is not based upon lineage by who your dad was. And his choice is not based upon what you've done because God made this sovereign choice before the children had done anything and said, this is my choice. So this election is a matter of my choice, not a matter of their works. Now, here's where my Calvinist friends would jump in and say, exactly, exactly. Salvation is not really your choice. It's God's choice for you. And if God's chosen for you to be saved, then you're saved. And God's not chosen for you to be saved, then you're not saved. And that's it. You know, case closed. But that's really not what election is. And I would challenge you to look at the word election in the Bible, the 20-something times that it's given in the New Testament, a couple times in the Old Testament, but, but primarily the New Testament doctrine of election. And 
I think I could demonstrate to you that in no case is election a reference to salvation, but election in every case is a reference to God's special call to service. God's special call to service. I think I can make that case in the two instances in Ephesians chapter one. I think I can make that case in the two instances here in Romans chapter nine, that election is God's choice. We all agree that the word election means choice. It's God's choice for service, not God's choice for salvation, nor is election something that is individual, but it's rather something that is corporate or national. So remember, the Jews here are struggling because uh, they are saying, well, it just seems like as a group, the Gentiles are the ones that kind of have the favor now, and we, the, the ones that have received the adoption and all these special benefits, it's like we're on the shelf right now. And yet what God is saying is, well, wait a minute. You know, you are more than willing to agree that God had the prerogative to make a choice of Isaac instead of the other sons. You are more than willing to agree that God had the choice to select Jacob, the younger one, even though tradition, family tradition, even in those days among Jews would be, no, no, the elder one is the one with the birthright. And yet God reversed that thing. So you would be more than willing to attest that that's okay, that God made that choice. Why? Because it benefited you. You are the children of Israel or Jacob, not Esau. So when the choice of God for special service has accrued to your benefit, you are more than willing to accept that at face value. And so what is Paul going to do? Paul's going to demonstrate that I've chosen to to give the the gospel to the Gentiles too, and to allow the church, which is the the mystery, the one body of Jew and Gentile together in one body to be the curators of the gospel message and of the story of Messiah in this New Testament age. That's my choice. And God has the sovereign prerogative to make a choice for who he wants to serve him and how and how he is going to curate the gospel message. And that's what's happening here. So election is not a matter of a salvific thing. It doesn't refer to salvation, but rather to service. And it's not an individual thing, but rather it's a corporate thing. Now, watch the next verse, and you'll see how the Apostle Paul explains this. Would you look at verse number 12? It was said unto her, this is unto Rebecca, the elder shall serve the younger. And then he gives a second proof to the way that he views Esau and and Jacob and that promise. Look at verse number 13. As it is written, so anytime you see that, where the Paul, Paul says that, he's quoting an Old Testament verse. In this case, he's quoting the last book of the Old Testament, at least the way we arrange the Old Testament. He's quoting Malachi, Malachi chapter one. So the promise to Rebecca, the the elder, so serve the younger, came well over a thousand years before the verse in Malachi chapter one, where it's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So what does that mean? God 
has chosen to hate certain people before they were even born? Well, let's get a couple things straight. First of all, God didn't tell Rebecca that. So it wasn't like Rebecca said to God said to Rebecca, Rebecca, by the way, you know, I hate Esau and I love Jacob. No, he just told her the the elder shall serve the younger. But it is written, because God told his people in Malachi's day, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And 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 well, prove it, God. How how have you loved me? Because I chose to use you for special service. So I favored you. That's what the word love means there. It means to favor one over another. Not that God didn't love Esau in the sense that we would use the word love, but love-hate is a comparative thing in Malachi chapter one and often in the Bible. For instance, look at Luke chapter 14 when the uh, Jesus was talking about true discipleship. And he said, if a man come after me and hate not father and and mother, and wife, and brothers and sisters, and children, his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to go home, tell your mom you hate her. No, the point here is that you favor your relationship with Christ over other relationships. You're preferring that relationship. And that's what it means in Malachi chapter 3, or chapter 1, rather. And that is that God has chosen, God chose Jacob to have a exclusively to have special service. And that special service was to be the curator of the seed of Messiah and to reflect the glory of God to the world. So God was exclusive in favoring Jacob so that through that exclusive choice, he could be inclusive because it was through Jacob choosing Jacob, uh, the nation of Israel, through whom he wanted to reach the entire world. So God's exclusivity is really just an example that God is inclusive, that he loves the world and all nations and wants all to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to have to quit right there. I, I feel as if these episodes are going much too quickly, and I know we're just plotting, but stay with me. I think as we continue to unpack and unfold, you're going to see some marvelous things. I hope you already are about the mercy, grace, and wisdom of our great God. Have a great day today. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, take a moment to subscribe or share the podcast with a friend. Until next time, God bless.